Cowabunga, everyone. This is your host, Brie, bringing you another monthly pop culture recap episode featuring the lovely Laura Alex and my dear friend, Mike Stevens. I just wanted to say that the monthly pop culture recap will not be a regular monthly thing, uh, at least on the free feed going forward, which is why I would love your feedback. If this is something you enjoy and you'd like to hear regularly and would be willing to throw some patron support behind it, let me know. Always looking for ways to expand this Peak Show content machine and potentially even monetize it. Secondly, Laura and I recorded our segment the day before the Oscars, which is frankly why we don't talk about the Oscars slap, and to that I say, that's probably fine. You do not need two more white women giving their opinion on this issue. But it's all good because we talk about Netflix prices and content, we talk about turning red, we talk about single drunk female, we talk about the King of the Hill reboot, and so much more. Thank you so much to Laura and Mike, and enjoy the show. everyone welcome back to our second ever monthly pop culture recap show we had so much fun doing the february episode with andy granlin that we're trying this again for march and i have with me a new guest my twitter pal fellow b2b journalism vet laura alex laura welcome to peak show thank you thank you for having me it's so fun finally doing this you were supposed to be on season one and then i didn't plan properly enough and it's like you know what Let's just shoot the shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that plan because I am kind of terrible at remembering the basic plots sometimes and outlines of things. So um, we're all good. Yeah. So I got to ask uh, whether it's, you know, pop culture, personal, professional, what was the peak of your march? Um, well, the personal peak was getting out of my orthopedic walking boot, finally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I broke my foot in December when I was out running, and uh, I thought I was going to get it off in mid-February, and then I kind of had to wear it for a month longer than I thought I did. So um, yeah. that's the personal peak. And then I have two mm -hmm. pop culture things, too, but like sort of pop culture-y, world-ish stuff adjacent. But should I just jump right into that now? Absolutely. Okay, cool. So, um, oh, God forgive me. Um, like, first of all, do you know, um, the thing about how Goldman Sachs CEO is DJing at Lollapalooza? No, I guess I, not. <laughs> I mean, I learned that the goalie Garrett Sparks is DJing at Lollapalooza, which we've all had a fun laugh at, but yeah, uh, Goldman. Wow. David Solomon. DJ D. Saul. Oh, so, you okay. know, just just take a moment to, to <laughs> absorb that. I, I haven't, I think he does, I think he's supposed to do like electronic dance music or something. I am not a connoisseur of that genre. Uh, Me so, either. You're, you're talking to the wrong gal. <laughs> yeah. So I'll leave that, like the criticism piece of that up to somebody who maybe is, but I just needed to, I learned that this week and I just needed to share the misery um mm -hmm. so that was one and then lord forgive me this one's like pop culture politics but like i just need to say the thing with um putin basically saying like i stand with jk rowling we're both being canceled <laughs> i just like one i i i know we're kind of on the same page about this one oh, hopes yeah. that that would like show any american who's like 
dropping that into like as a substitute for i don't like that you know mm-hmm. fear we know it won't we know it won't but <laughs> yeah i mean the the funny thing is uh, jk rowling will probably respond by putting like a russian character in her books named like Ilya vladimir borshki or something like, yeah yeah <laughs> i i have read very few harry potter books i've read i think the first four and i've seen the first three movies uh so i've never had like a, a horse in that race to begin with so yeah. when we were all canceling her i was like fine with me sure. like yeah. <laughs> yeah um i'll also say orthopedic walking boots are the absolute worst i had to wear one only for about six weeks last year and um I, it makes me think of the simpsons episode when bart breaks his leg and he's like walking to the flanders house and the way he's like got the like just wobbling um unfortunately i didn't break my leg or break break my leg i didn't break my ankle running uh well i I broke it running not in an athletic sense i uh my husband pulled up and we were i was taking the garbage i was like come on let's go get groceries yeah and i excitedly ran to the car like doing a silly run and slipped (laughs) on ice and so uh at least you broke it doing something productive so best of luck getting back into running thanks eventually i uh i'm gonna wait till the bone is fully healed before i do that but yeah yeah i think for me i mean peak of my month it's hard because uh this this month uh march in ontario we finally ended our mask mandate after nearly two years and uh it's probably the first time since i've left toronto that i kind of miss toronto because everyone's saying yeah like 90 percent of the people in my grocery store are still wearing a mask i live in a rural area where um like i live nowhere near ottawa but when the trucker convoy was going on people were doing like sympathy convoys here and stuff like it's um it's a deeply conservative place where i live yeah um like conservative for canada is still very much like joe biden um yeah (laughs) but um yeah it's uh although the the convoy actually i think this might have technically been february but the one thing the convoy uh accomplished was getting the former conservative leader uh basically removed as leader from his party he got a I guess, non-confidence vote, or his, his party rejected him, basically. Wow. Um, which was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> and then our two, you know, central, central left parties basically joined forces. So I'm like, this is basically what the convoy uh, has accomplished. So that's just kind of funny for me as as a peak. And then as a, as a personal peak, I would say um, buying this t-shirt. Because the bar's on the ground for me. Staying alive. It says staying alive, and it is a skeleton happily drinking coffee. I love and that. Thank you. It's So my bar's on the ground yeah. for the peak of my month. But, uh, you know, we're doing, we're doing this again because it feels like it's March, um, you know, a slightly longer month than the last one, and yet pop culture still continues to hit us yeah. like a wave. <laughs> it's just... Uh, so the biggest thing... Yeah. It, it wouldn't be 2022 without Netflix discourse. And nope. <laughs> uh, I'm excited, though, to talk about this with someone who actually understands markets a little bit, because I think a lot of people think they understand and they say like, oh, well, Netflix share prices are down. And that means and I'm yeah. just like, please zoom out on that graph. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the main reason Netflix is in the news right now is because Netflix has in the same month, you know, Raised prices, canceled shows you love, including my beloved Babysitter's Club, and made statements about cracking down on password sharing. One thing oh. that I think a lot of people are realizing, because, you know, we 
people who only read headlines. That's nothing new. They're cracking down on password sharing in only a few nations, Chile, Costa Rica, and Peru. There's a reason for that. They are targeting poorer nations for this. Um, This is... So first of all, when I read a couple pieces on this, just to make sure I was getting the details right, this is why I defend business reporting and trade reporting. Because I was reading this on NPR, like NPR is a legitimate news site, but the Mm -hmm. quotes and the opinions it was getting weren't from analysts or whatever. It was just Twitter users. It was like, um, Netflix is going to lose a lot of customers, said one Twitter user. Like, I'm, I'm begging people to fucking do an interview. Call yeah. a business analyst, get an actual expert opinion. I don't care what people on Twitter say. I, I care what experts have to say. Oh, you you mean you don't want to hear from like at some guy for 2069? I mean, I always want to hear from some guy <laughs> for 2069. <laughs> but um, yeah, like, I don't know. It's like you expect that from the kind of quick hitter clickbait sites. But when I realize that like even NPR is doing that, I'm just like, oh, my God, like do an interview because... I want to like so I actually when I was an entertainment reporter I started out reporting exclusively on the streaming business. Um Yeah. And so Netflix quarterlies are something that I spent like a good 6 years kind of analyzing. Um I understand why it's doing I mean I don't understand why like I, <laughs> when I say that I'm not saying it's justified I'm not saying it doesn't suck but um like Netflix has become the preeminent streaming service in North America. I honestly doubt it will even try this in North America because growth there is not the goal anymore. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at Netflix quarterlies, which I just looked at, like it's growth, it continues to grow, but its growth is slowing. And that's very normal for any business. Um, But that's just, it's at a saturation point. And so it's trying other things to get past the saturation point. I think what a lot of people forget is that unlike a lot of the other streamers for Netflix, streaming is, is its only business model. It's not Amazon's only business model. It's not e- it's not Disney's only business model. It's not even Hulu's because Hulu's owned by Disney. Like, right. So, <laughs> but then people say like, oh well, Netflix's stock prices are way down. Google blank st- stock prices, and you will see. And just go to the five year. Yeah. Go to the five year because yes, Netflix stock prices are at a low for this year, but they're pretty much where they were at the start of the pandemic. Like that's so. Yeah, I'm begging people to get some perspective on the Netflix thing. Yeah, and, and I mean, I, I guess this is maybe a little bit broader than the point about Netflix more specifically, but um, just looking at stuff quarter to quarter. I mean, there there's there's some myopia, I think, in that and just that we care so much about these results on a quarter to quarter basis, but mm-hmm. um, it's, you know, for observers, casual observers, I guess like, yeah, it's, that's not the full picture. Mm-hmm. So I also, um, I don't know if you were a fan of the babysitters club Netflix series. Did you watch perchance? I did not. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> were, you, were you a reader of the babysitters club in, uh, in the nineties? Um, I was uh, more into the saddle club. Um, oh, you were a horse girl. I was a horse girl. I know. <laughs> I know. That's cute. Like, yeah. Like we, uh, I, I, it was like, a, I mean, not to get grim or anything like, well, whatever. I don't fucking care. Um, 
I think I got, I started taking writing lessons as a little kid because it was like a consolation prize for my parents' divorce. Oh. So there you go. But yeah, I was a saddle club kid. So. so I have always thought that horses are like the most beautiful creatures on the planet. But I, the first time I saw a horse up close, I was terrified of it because it was like too muscular, too big. And yeah. even still, I am extremely scared of horses and I will fully say it. I think their penises are too big. I don't yeah, want that around I, me. I, I, yeah, I don't, uh, you know, yeah, I don't blame it's you. And that's, it, it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, wow. Um, no, but they, they are too big. I mean, I'm not scared of them, but they are, well, I'm not scared of horses. Yeah. But sometimes, yeah, the animals, mm. they do not know how big they are. But so I don't think we had like I because I grew up in like um, a bilingual town. And so yeah. finding even like books for little girls who spoke English was sometimes mm -hmm. hard. So like all I really had in my local library was either the Sweet Valley High or the Babysitter's Club books. And yeah. I like they were my only friends growing up, those books. <laughs> um, and the Netflix show was very, very sweet. It was wonderful. Um, Rachel Schuchert's interview with Vulture after BSC was canceled was fantastic because she talked a lot about like, you know, Netflix ratings and metrics. I don't want to go down a huge rabbit hole of like net how Netflix measures its ratings um, because I've done it enough on this fucking show. <laughs> um, but they are notoriously non-transparent with them about creators. And right now they're going for content, not just that drives subscribers, but that drives global subscribers. So yes. they, like, I was just talking with this, I was recording an episode with Mint yesterday, um, and they were saying that Netflix has done a lot of good stuff for producers and filmmakers who are making mid-range productions. Yep. And I agree, except that I worry now that those middling shows are disappearing because everything has to be the next global viral hit. Everything has to be the next Squid Game. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, just kind of, I would like some sort of comfort watch, personally. Yeah. Um, but So, I also think that the all-at-once binge format episode drop can be a bit of a creativity killer. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm really enjoying Severance right now. I'm enjoying it so much. And I love a show that actually, like, has me going crazy throughout the week, wanting to know what happens next. Like, that's... It's a thing I'll admit I I miss about being a teenager. Yeah, yeah. So I um I, I sort of I I have got I've noticed that I've started to get into the habit of self regulating a little bit. At least if so, I I don't know. Started watching Succession. Um, mm -hmm. you know the show about like rich people being mean to each other all the time, basically. <laughs> um, but uh, you know everybody else I guess was on season three or four or whatever. Um. But I kind of like, well, first of all, it felt like uh, just lead poisoning for my soul if I tried to watch too much of it at once. Mm -hmm. But like, I've always tried to give myself a limit of like, okay, rather than binge this, you can watch two episodes per sitting and no more. But even then, that's still getting caught up on like an entire however many seasons in the course of two weeks. It's probably yeah. not super healthy i wonder where why all my self-control is in the dumpster well okay no I, I i'm sorry i don't mean that to sound like super reactionary old man yells at clouds sort of bullshit so oh, i'm gonna I walk love, that back a little i love yelling at clouds though so yeah 
On the topic of streaming and comfort watches, Disney's newest release, Turning Red, written and directed by Demi Shi, debuted in theaters and on Disney Plus this month. I love that they didn't charge a premium for it on Disney Plus. Um, Ooh. So, yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's awesome. Like, that's what stopped me from seeing the live action Mulan. And then by the time it did uh, come like come out of the premium paywall, I didn't care anymore. Because I loved yeah. Mulan as a kid. Dude, yeah. Don't care <laughs> about a live action version. Because I'm not a big, you know, quote unquote Disney adult. I yeah. truly, like... Some people are, and I want to try to avoid being mean to Disney adults, but, like, my brother and his wife, when they got married, like, his, they they at least had a nice compromise, because the um, music that played before the ceremony was instrumental versions of Disney songs and, okay. video, and video game songs, because my brother's a big gamer, so, like, I okay. ran up to my brother, like, is this from Chrono Trigger? I love this! <laughs> but, like... My sister-in-law walked down the aisle to Tale as Old as Time from Beauty and the Beast, and I'm just like, what are you saying about my brother? Like, <laughs> oh, 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 no. Yeah. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. All right. <laughs> like, we look alike, so I got to say, my brother's a handsome man. But um, so, no, I'm not a big Disney adult, and I actually think I grew out of Disney pretty young. Um, yeah. But I like Pixar. I've always yeah. really liked Pixar, and the thing with Turning Red is it's set in Toronto, mm -hmm. where I lived for, you know, uh, more than a decade, and actually, I used to work just kind of adjacent to Chinatown, like in the entertainment district, and the whole movie is set in Chinatown, and they did a really amazing job of replicating Chinatown. Um, there were some specific buildings that it did, and then kind of look-alike things and stuff, like, um, I, it was very delightful. I loved the film. I thought it was so cute. I think the protagonist, May, is a really lovely protagonist because, like, I find in animation, um, there's tween girls, tween girl characters. Like, they're always sassy. And yeah. I like that May is not sassy. She's confident. She's spunky. She's a little dorky. But she's not sassy. And she's not, like, too clever. Like, yeah. she was a very <laughs> realistic 13-year-old girl. Um, but I was expecting, like, I saw it. I saw it just last week, and so there was already some discourse about it, and everyone was talking about, like, the cringe factor and stuff, and I actually didn't find it that cringy. There's a lot of relatable tween girl stuff. Um, yeah. I wasn't even a particularly girly girl, but I was like, oh, yeah, I can relate to this, but it didn't, like, give me secondhand embarrassment. And why do we care about cringe when, like, as millennials, we love The Office and shit? Oh, my God, yeah. I uh, <laughs> I went on... I. I... Yeah, I went on a work trip recently and I was watching episodes of The Office in the hotel room and it was like, it had been years and I was thinking like, oh, this is like, I seem to remember this being a little more clever, I think <laughs> at the time, but uh, that's, um, I'm very good at tangents. I have not seen Turning Red yet, um, partly because we don't have Disney Plus, but um, also it would be nice to maybe take myself to a movie at this point. So there, there's some piece of the plot that hinges on periods, right? Actually, it's are, not that much. It's, which, okay, what's interesting but, is that they do, like, when she, uh, oh, spoiler alert. I mean, I'm just about to explain the entire conceit of the movie. Okay, that yeah. When no, she I, turns <laughs> into the giant red panda. Yeah. And she's freaking out in the bathroom. Her mother thinks it's because she got her first period. And oh. so like, it's not, the plot doesn't even revolve around periods. I mean, the whole thing yeah. is a metaphor for puberty. Yeah. But 
like that was I was expecting the period thing to play a way bigger part in it. Yeah. But, okay. I mean, what what it is, and maybe this is why people are making both a big deal, both negatively and positively about it, is that it talks about the her period very frankly. Like, yeah. and very matter-of-factly and not, like, I mean, the mom is freaking out a little bit because she thinks it's her first, but it's, like, very, like, you forgot your pads. And so yeah. it doesn't censor it, which you're used to from Disney, so. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, so so the only thing, and I'm sorry, this is gonna, where I'm probably going to get into a little bit of TMI territory here, um, and this is not... You know, a diss on the people who raised me or anything like that. But, um, so I've seen a lot of the, the discourse from people complaining about like the, the period elements and like, oh, this is so, you know, traumatizing for boys or whatever. I just like when I was at about that age, I did not, I did not know there was blood involved. So I was in for a really rude surprise. So I just, um, like, that's just my, my, the story that I think of that's just See? like, nobody told me there were, they spoke sort of in like euphemisms and spoke around it. And nobody, literally nobody told me there would be blood. I thought I was dying in the most embarrassing way possible. Anyways. Wow. So I, I knew about that part, but I actually didn't, I, this is going to sound crazy. I didn't know about cramps. Um, and that was why all of a sudden on New Year's Eve 2002, I was a late bloomer because I was like 13 and a half, mm. um, thought I was dying in a mall food court. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but no, like I, I really, I thought it was very frank and it yeah. wasn't graphic, but it was just like, you'd expect Disney to not use the word period. So yeah. that was kind of nice. Um, there's one thing I'll say, because I'm thinking we're, we're like the same age, right? I, 80, born in yeah. 89? Yeah. 85, so, yeah. Okay, so yeah. 2002 is when yeah. this movie is set. Mm -hmm. May and her friends are obsessed with a fictional boy band. 2002, am I wrong? Or were boy bands kind of out around then? Because this is post uh, Backstreet Boys Millennium. This is post NSYNC, No Strings Attached. I think Timberlake had gone or was about to go solo. Yeah. 98 Degrees was, I mean, Nick Lachey was just Jessica Simpson's husband at this point. I think you're right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I was kind of thinking about that and I was thinking like, no, no, I was in high school at that point. Every The Backstreet Boys were still, but then I was like, no, 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 because Millennium, yeah, that was a little bit that earlier was too, than that. Yeah, that, that was, was summer bit. 1999 was I Want It That Way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my, oh my God. I know. I <laughs> oh, we're fucking ancient. Um, <laughs> so uh, the the this is where like I feel like I have to be careful how I say this because I don't want to sound like old man yells at cloud. But um, yeah, there's two types of reviews of Turning Red, which does speak a lot about how arts and culture discourse plays out. Mm -hmm. There are reviews that will talk about how incredibly important the representation is and the imagery and the mythology is important. Far be it from me, a white girl, to say that that isn't. Yeah. But I'm not going to lie. A lot of these reviews, they don't even talk about things like the dialogue, the character development, the direction, the voice acting, all mm. of which were very good. Yeah. And that's like, it's weird that I've seen some reviews that dedicate more word count to the fact that there's a Sikh security guard and like, oh, isn't this cool that you see this guy and you see him multiple times and blah, blah, blah. And look at how uh, diverse the background characters are. All that is great. I don't want to say that none of that is great. And I don't want to say that it shouldn't be celebrated. But with what's going on in the news this month in, um, you know, in the United States, 
The reason why this gets to me is because Disney often uses, I find, it uses representation to detract from some yep. of its undeniably problematic actions, such as its final financial support of what's been called the Don't Say Gay Bill. Um, yeah. By the way, guys, it's about more than just saying gay. So you, you're you not being subversive by just saying gay, gay, gay. Like, read what this is about. It's terrible yeah. <laughs> in so many ways. Um but yeah, so I just don't want to get in the habit of giving Disney so much credit for representation and being progressive um, and not staying vigilant about the various ways in which Disney's a fucking shit stain. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you about that. I So this is, you know, not to be like too much of a Pollyanna or anything, hopefully, mm -hmm. um, but like when you're talking about, you know, these reviews, they just devote more ink or proverbial ink. I guess <laughs> with digital ink, whatever. Um, they they you know devote more word space to praising the diversity or the representation, and they kind of are giving a little bit of short shrift to the fact that it is like actually a very well written story with good dialogue, et cetera, et cetera. That's funny because I mean I I think that. Properties like Turning Red are great because they can be enjoyed on two levels, yeah. and and for me. Like I said, being a white girl, you know, I don't necessarily have to grasp to find representation. And that's yeah. great for me. There are certain things like um, I also think of the Netflix show Never Have I Ever, which is fantastic. Um, and that's a show that is both relatable for everyone who's had the teen girl experience. But also there is an element of Never Have I Ever that I can't personally appreciate because it is very much about growing up Indian, growing up yeah. Indian in America, growing up a brown girl or the way like brown girls are like the expectations that are put on them. So I, I mean, when I say I can't appreciate it, I mean, I don't mean like I don't appreciate it. I mean, like I have, yeah. I can't identify with that. And yeah. so I think it's, I think those are examples of very well-made shows because you have something that speaks to the audience who can identify with it and who mm -hmm. are excited to see themselves represented and see problems that are very specific to their culture represented. Because it's not just that May is Chinese. She is Chinese-Canadian living yeah. in the city and that culture clash. Because that, as well as Never Have I Ever, is a lot about generational culture clash. Um, yeah. But then it's also relatable shit like... I get excited thinking about this boy band or, oh, no, I'm dating two boys at once. Or, like, <laughs> I mean, not that I could ever relate to dating two boys at once, but um, <laughs> God, I wish. Um, I wish I were that cool. But I, uh, yeah, I, I come from a town with a very, very shallow dating pool. So yeah, um, no idea what that's. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, like, so I do I never want to say like, oh, the reviews focus too much on the representation, but it is also like, let's also celebrate the fact that this is an extremely good movie. Right. And also, let's not let Disney off the hook for um, being, you know, not exempt from a super evil corporation. Yeah. A, yeah. a shit stain. <laughs> like Utter shit stain. Like, like you can't have your your quote unquote statement be like the stories we tell the world or whatever sort of bullshit they tried to put out at the beginning when people <laughs> were like, "Hey, what is your corporate statement about this? Don't say gay bill and your f financial support of the politicians who pass this." Yeah, well, we're gonna let our story like no, 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 no. Like stories <laughs> are nice. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate a good story, especially when it's like well written. But uh. uh. <sighs> 
Now, now, Laura, uh, on also on the topic of streaming, are are you and I the only cis white girls who did not watch Love is Blind this month? I did not watch Love is Blind. Fucking A. All right. So um, <laughs> my perspective from the outside is that you guys are all crazy. And I there's every time I see the name Shayna, I think you're talking about Shania. And then I get really yeah. excited. And I think everyone's talking about my girl Shania. Shania Twain? Yeah, I'm Shania from the hometown Twain. of Shania Twain. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I mean, I didn't I didn't know really where Shania Twain was from, she, to be she, honest. Well, I think I she was Canada. born she was born somewhere else, but she was raised in Timmins. So she went to Timmins okay. High and Vocational School where I went. And um for a while they had a Shania Twain museum. Um and they it made no money. It lost the city so much money. Aww. And after I wanna say maybe ten years, they tore it down, bulldozed it, and turned it into a mining pit. <laughs> oh, that don't impress me much. Sorry. <laughs> I, I really just needed to be a corn, cornball and say that. Um, oh, oh that's sad. Because like, if you look at PEI or at, at uh, Nova Scotia, the, the Anne Murray Museum, like that was really successful and stuff. And I think they were yeah. hoping for the same with Shania. The problem is no one wants to come to Timmins, Ontario. It's it's gray and horrible and everyone's racist like the the best thing you can say about timmins ontario is that researchers have literally used it as an analog for mars because the ground is so cold oh oh yeah oh my god oh yeah like like dollywood i guess is at least like that's near gatlinburg so that's near the smoky mountains which i i know because i've been there i have not been to dollywood oh man i feel like (laughs) see see dolly parton is one of those like when people talk about, ooh, canceling, uh, you know, oh, white Christians are getting canceled. Like, Dolly Parton is is a Christian, and yeah. <laughs> she's also universally beloved by, you know, leftists and mm-hmm. Democrats and stuff because she's just a kind person who has done so much for the world. Yeah. Um, so, so since you are a cool person who did not watch Love is Blind, what were some of the things that uh, you digested this month? Uh, I've been really into this Hulu series, Single Drunk Female. Um, it's, uh, uh so like, yeah, I, I'm probably gonna vomit a little too much personal stuff, uh, here. But, um, so, so, sorry, spoilers or, or whatever, but like, basically the premise of the show is that there's this young woman who's like living in New York City, or she starts out living in New York City and like, comes into work drunk and starts a fight with her boss or something like that and gets carried away in handcuffs and essentially like has to go through probation and go to AA and stuff like that. I've never, I've never, so, you know, caveats that I've never done 12 step programs or anything like that. I am currently in a period of not drinking that I don't, so today it's like 12 weeks. I don't really, yeah, I don't really know how long I want to like ride this thing because I committed to a hundred days, but then it's like, well, I, you know, I don't want to go out on day 101 and like, uh, uh, you know, just drown my sorrows in white claw. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, I, so I, I do really like this show, but I also, um, I guess it kind of also does maybe play a little bit into some sort of tropes that I see a lot with, you know, any 
generally any kind of um media around substance abuse or whatever um but it's you know it's this person who like their life is falling apart and that's you know that that's somehow the inciting incident for uh kicking alcohol or whatever and i just like this is and and again this is i don't want to be you know too complete although you know what fuck that because i am from connecticut and like my people's olympic sport is practically complaining so um (laughs) but uh yeah i don't know i mean like i love this show it's on hulu but at the same time there's a little bit bit of me that's just like ah i don't relate to that at all because i feel like there must be people like i'm trying to think of a way to phrase this that doesn't sound braggy um or humble braggy or anything like that but like i want to I want to see or see something about the people who are like trying to hold too much shit together and like, you know, drinking because otherwise they might explode mm-hmm. um, or some. And I don't know, because I, I, I mean, personally, I've been doing a lot of thinking back to um, just, you know, the whole when and why and how I started drinking really heavily. Like, when did that go from normal sort of social thing to problem? So, um, but they, you know, they sort of go through a lot of that in the show too. Like it goes through, um, how her, her father died at some point prior to the begin to where the story begins. And that was sort of an inciting and not an inciting incident, but it was like a key turning point, I think, for a lot of her issues kind of calcifying, mm-hmm. uh, so that's what I've been, that's one thing I've been consuming. And then, um, what else? Uh, I know that I have, uh, I have been watching King of the Hill reruns. Like, <laughs> well, but that is actually perfect because through editing magic, we're going yeah. to divert to a discussion. Uh, we were rejoined by friend of the show, Mike Stevens to discuss the recent Peggy Hill discourse. And, uh, yeah. what I'll say is a lot of people, misreporting on the idea of a uh, King of the Hill reboot. So hmm. maybe I'll add in a little sparkle sound effect as we go to Mike and Bree. <laughs> I guess I should give you a little intro. Okay, so we are coming to you not at all live um, with our uh, with our field correspondent, uh, friend of the show, Mike Stevens, uh, because Mike is a King of the Hill specialist and we're here to dive into some discourse. Welcome to the show, or welcome back to the show, Mike. Thank you for, this is the three-peat right here. Yes, um, I think you are officially our first three-peat guest. Liz was on the reunion episode, but I feel like the reunion episode doesn't count? Question mark? I don't know, Liz, challenge this. <laughs> this is going to be great, because in April, I'm sure you're going to be seeing, you'll be working with her for another uh, sort of mini-sode, and... She'll say something, and then in like July, you know, I'll get. Feels like it's a old-fashioned, uh, like nineteenth-century writers feuding or something. Do you guys have to fight each other? Oh, I wonder. Um, I don't so- like my chances. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of writers feuding, I guess we're we're here to talk about. Um, a little of the discourse that went down in March. And so, who better to talk about this discourse than Mike? Um, we're talking about the impending with an asterisk king of the hill reboot 
And a recent article that was written about how if they are... Now, this is just an opinion piece uh, from someone who doesn't have that big of a portfolio to their name, it would seem, about how if they're going to bring back King of the Hill, they need to address the Peggy problem. And uh, the Peggy problem is essentially that she is far too self-absorbed to be a good mom, which uh, a lot of people, I think, pretty accurately replied to with, that's what makes Peggy funny. Well, and that's sort of the whole central point of the character herself is how flawed she is, but how, I mean, all the characters have flaws and foibles. When Mm -hmm. we did the original show back in, what was that, April, I want to say, of 2021? I know that your, your folks got vaccines that day. Uh, yes, uh, yes. Were, that was a oh, couple, it was, interruption in the. It was Good Friday, so yeah, it was April. Oh, there we go. Yeah, oh, we got a, an Easter vibe going on here. There's something Holy Trinity or something. Anyway, <laughs> um, uh, no, we we discussed that all of these people have flaws and foibles, and that's what makes the show so real and what makes it, frankly, so timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know it's uh, I don't see the I don't see where. And, and you're right. There was that article by, I think her name is Melissa Horacek. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, the fixing Peggy's bad mom problem. I, I hate to say it. I think she just, she completely missed the point of the show. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard because it really does give off the vibes of, you know, we paid a freelancer $50 to write the most inflammatory thing for hate clicks kind of vibe. It also reminds me of, and there's more than one article like this out here, but the whole I watched The Simpsons for the first time and I don't know how anyone can like this show kind of thing. And Homer's a really terrible person. Um, my two biggest counterpoints are one, I actually do not think Peggy's a bad mom. I think um, that Peggy is as, um, I mean, this kind of reminds me of the very first episode in which Jose and I talked about Malcolm in the Middle and Lois and whether or not Lois is a good mom. And it's almost like a pointless question to ask because we're so used to thinking of someone as either like a good mom or a bad mom. Um, And, you know, the truth is a lot of people who have like complicated relationships with their parents would say that like, my parent had did this thing that was really good and they also had this very big flaw. I think Peggy, you know, raises Bobby with a lot of self-love. I think she is very giving and she's incredibly selfish. Yeah, I mean, I mean she's, I think really her biggest fault, if any, is that she's, she's just vain. She's like, she <laughs> thinks that she is uh, God's gift to humanity. But, but if that's the case, then that makes Bobby the son of God. She does treat, but no, but she does treat Bobby relatively well. There are certainly times where she's harsh with him and says things mm-hmm. to him that are not necessarily, um, you know, like she reminds him there was one of the great parts actually about the discourse, uh, uh, you know, resurfacing for for the hate clicks is <laughs> so many people on Twitter and, and in social media in general were actually sort of sh- lovingly sharing their favorite Peggy bits yeah. And, and, you know, you see the one where, uh, you know, Bobby references uh, uh, some old, is it a stork or it's some sort of like, ro- oh, it's a roadrunner. And then Peggy says something along the lines of like, oh, do you remember when you used to have that terrifying dream where it was eating your eyes? <laughs> and then later that night, he has a nightmare about that again. Mom! And, and, and so, and so she's, she's 
bad that way, but but to your point, and I mean, if you want to look at this as, and I know this is subjective to some extent, and we are also maybe going a bit further afield on a fictional person yes. than, than is necessary here. But okay, she works, supports her family, uh, you know, financially, and then also, uh, you know, logistically putting meals on the table, all of that coordinates vacations, does things like that. So sort of covers those bases. Um, not that this would make a, be a, be a, 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 a mortal sin anyway, but it's not like she has, uh, you know, either substance abuse or, or chemical dependency issues that are, uh, in, you know, inhibiting her ability to be a mother. She's Peggy not has her shit physically, together. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's not physically violent. So like bad mom and wife, I don't know. I mean, it seems like, it, it seems like it's just, I think something that, and it's maybe funny considering who the author is. It's one of those things where when women have traits that are more commonly associated with men, we're likely to call them a bitch. And I'm I'm mm-hmm. sorry to use that word, but that is the, you know, that is well-trod territory, I think. It's honestly one of my favorite words. So you can, you can, it's, you know, the, I've got C word privileges, but I feel like, you know, you're my friend. You can say the B word to me. Um, you know, it's, yeah. I, I would never, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, maybe, maybe if I was like English, I think it's different over there, but I'm not going to use see you next Tuesday anytime soon. Oh, so that's why my husband says that to me all the time. Um, so one of the reasons. <laughs> So the other thing, though, and I think this really speaks to the strength of Daniel's judge and the entire writing staff on there is King of the Hill, um, you know, aside from maybe post-season seven when it went into more episodic kind of stuff, was really, really good at giving a pathology to all of its characters. And, you know, we talked so much in the episode about, like, all the pain and stuff that all these characters harbor, and yet every single one of them has a story, like, you know, like, Dale has, you know, his his father that he has this broken relationship with. Bill has, you know, um, his his terrible downfall from high school glory. And with Peggy, you see it. I think the earliest you see it is season two's I Remember Mono, um, which is where Mm -hmm. you first meet Mother Platter. And the way she um, the way she pushes her as she's cooking and like, oh, you know, like, why don't you just build him a rocket ship, Peggy? Because she just has no faith that her daughter can do anything. And my favorite line of that episode, possibly one of my favorite TV lines of all time, is Peggy's like, I can't do it. And her mother says, do not say can't. You will not use contractions in this house. And you, because you think she's going to like give her daughter this line of encouragement, but she's actually just saying like, no, I don't like you using contractions. They are also very smart after to write Peggy very rarely using contractions after that. And it's kind of part of the Peggy inflection of talking. But um, I was going to say yeah. that's sorry, continue. No, I was just saying like that really does like just as you see that all of Hank's flaws are really the groundwork is laid by cotton. Um, Peggy, uh, she has reasons for being the way she is, for being as overconfident as she is. And it's a half hour cartoon comedy show, but they wrote in a very clear pathology for Peggy and um, showing that her arrogance is really a lot of pain. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's the, it's the typical um, uh, making up for having your confidence shaken for so much of your life is that you sort of either you develop a persona or you lash out or you, you know, you sort of try to exude something that is not uh, at all 
reflective of, of, of reality. And I think, I think we also discussed, um, last year as well, the, the intergenerational familial sort of, uh, uh, conflict that, that just permeates the show. And so, yeah, you know, uh, Hank never thinks anything that Bobby does is right. Peggy thinks that everything she does is right. These are sort of reflections of their own parenting. And, you know, uh, I think actually one of the best takes on the whole matter was a a fantastic Twitter user. If you're into um, sort of film and, and, and TV criticism, uh, uh, Sriracha Chow, um, uh, like sriracha as in the sauce and then yeah. chow, C-H-A-U, basically said that Peggy being sort of shitty is progressive and and they're not making her, you know, either a, a what what's the, is it a Peggy Sue? Is that the? Mary that the, Sue. Mary Sue, sorry, <laughs> yes. there we go. Um, she's not a Mary Sue. She's not perfect. Um, you know, it, it, Who's to say that women have to be perfect? All women are perfect. Don't get me wrong. But like, you know, she doesn't have to be to be is, is I think yeah. the point. Yeah. Like, you know, you, I think there's a lovely space that kind of opened up in probably about the nineties when people, showrunners realized that mother characters, they do not need to be June Cleaver, but they also do not need to be Peg Bundy. And mm-hmm. um, because even someone like Marge Simpson is, she is, a parody of the June Cleaver era mom. Um, and Peggy, like, yeah, like you said, she gets her shit done, but she's also very annoying. Um, I want to talk about the reboot in general, though, a little bit. I don't want to say I feel like people are jumping the gun. However, there's a big difference between the re- like the reboot has no official status. It is quote unquote in the works, but a really important thing to note is that it hasn't been ordered yet. There has been no production deal signed with any network or streamer. Daniels and Judge have basically said what they would like to do. They haven't written an episode for it. Um, So I don't want to say I don't think it's going to happen. I'm sure it will because they've opened this animation studio together. They're looking to, or Judge is looking to hopefully reboot Beavis and Butthead as well. But um it's not as impending as I think a lot of people thought when that article came out. Um, there's not much immediacy to it. They have said that they would want to do a time jump, like 15 years in the future. I don't want to say I'm not sure how I feel about that, but maybe it's because I love like tween Bobby so much. Um, on one hand, it gets rid of your Luann problem, I guess, and you can... Just it's a lot easier to say, oh, ever since Luann moved away, like Yeah, there's you know I think I think one of the realities is that nothing is allowed to die. Everything has to be a franchise, <laughs> everything has to be vertically integrated. And so bringing King of the Hill back is it was relevant enough for long enough that someone can make money off of this. Yes. Which means it is not allowed to die. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm with you that that I have a little bit of skepticism frankly yeah it could be in production hell for all we know um mm-hmm. but I have a little bit of skepticism about how good it will be mm-hmm. with a time jump especially by the same token I guess 
What's worse, finding out what they're doing 15 years later or pretending like the, you know, interim 15 or 16 years don't exist? Are they, is it still going to be in the early 2000s or are we going to have Hank complaining about iPhone 12, which that will be awful. (laughs) That will, I would, you know. I'm more like, I'm very hesitant. Like the line I've kind of been thinking all day is I don't want to know what Hank Hill thinks about they, them pronouns. And I really don't want to know what Peggy Hill thinks about they, them pronouns. Um, So I hope judge treads lightly. I'm I'm sure he will because Greg Daniels is, you know, a good liberal boy, but um, that's, you know, talking about how things can't die, I feel like that's actually more relevant to the second episode that you were on, the Arrested Development episode. And, hmm. you know, um, that is a real, like, that's always my worst case scenario that I point to, which is that, like, here is something that came back and we were so disappointed that fans, like the most diehard of fans, literally just pretend it does not exist. Um, and hey, if that's the worst thing that happens in your life, like my life is not going to be ruined by a bad TV show. But um, but I, I don't know. I I really love when beautiful things are left alone. And I would much rather focus on, say, um, getting uh, the entirety of King of the Hill onto a Canadian streaming platform so I can hey, enjoy it. Yes. Not, don't have to figure out VPNs or anything otherwise. Yeah. But uh, no, I... I think we also discussed this, that actually when Daniels and Judge left the show, uh, season seven, I think, seven. That's, when yeah. it, that's when it went downhill, and then it still had another five, six years. Okay, sure, mm-hmm. bring them back. Maybe there's something left in the tank. But what, it had 260-something episodes? What, what, what do you this mean? Is, yeah. like, what, we what? haven't left anything unsaid. And also, a thing that I kind of just remembered, they killed Cotton like right right yeah, so you're gonna so have i know he's not in every episode but he was for a while in most of the episodes um i think if you were to bring it back like whether or not you think you need to be the most politically correct person in the world whether or not you think people of color should voice people of color you need to address the con problem you really need to address the con problem and mm-hmm. so i uh, I if there were a King of the Hill reboot, I would probably watch it because like give me give me content. I am hungry. Only content can satiate this this void in my soul. But at the same time, I feel this kind of like sense of dread. I'm like, oh, why can't I just have all my things that were wrapped up with a bow in 2009? No, oh, exactly. I'm I'm completely with you on that. My my big thing is, have you ever um watched the the movie or read i guess the novella um stand by me which is the novellas i think named the body um i've never read it however i've seen the movie many times including we had to watch it in my grade 11 psych class so that's that's that's, that's, uh, all right that's i'm not gonna let this derail me i'm gonna get to a point that's what i'm gonna do so okay there's uh, the main the main character in in stand by me is a writer because stephen king loves to uh, jack himself off in his work and mm-hmm. he but he's a he's a kid and the other kids in the group ask him to tell one of your great stories gordy or whatever the heck his name is and he does and it's about a pie eating contest and 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 the kids then ask okay well then what happens next and he's like it doesn't matter what happens 
afterwards that the point of the story was the pie eating contest. Like, oh, well, he should have gone home and told his dad to fuck off. That's something along those lines. And that's a really, really great. That's also Stephen King being like, hey, fans of my work, stop telling me what my characters should do. He also wrote Misery, which is basically that in a much darker context. But I don't need to see that part where Bobby goes home and tells his dad to fuck off. We already have what we have. The story doesn't need to be all encompassing. There's something, I don't know, there, there's there's something about adding to, you wouldn't necessarily add to Michelangelo's David. You wouldn't necessarily add to the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel 15 years later for the sake of money. You would hope that you have something actually good and artistically genuine, even you if you are yeah. also going for money. You wouldn't uh, like wipe clean a fresco of Jesus and then paint over it with your own version that looks kind of like a monkey. Um, the only the only person who I would know that would do that would actually be Peggy Hill. She would have the hubris to, <laughs> to, to say that she could make Peggy it better. That's a very Peggy yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll leave us on this one note. Um, for those of you listeners who, like me, were the scourge of the earth and crawling uh, Tumblr around like 2013, 2014, and there was this webcomic that went around uh, in which... An adult Bart Simpson and Chris Griffin. Griffins were the family and mm -hmm. family mm -hmm. guy, correct? Uh, they were. They appeared to be gay lovers, and they were in a therapy session talking about their traumatic childhoods and talking about how terrible their dads were. And their therapist is kind of like just helping them along very gently. And then at the end, you know, they leave, and uh, you see that the... Um, you see that the um, therapist's name, it says like Robert R. Hill or whatever. And it did bother me because Bobby's middle name is Jeffrey. Everyone knows it's Jeffrey. Um, and, uh, uh, but he calls up his dad and he, you know, because this made him think, he's like, you know what? You were a really great dad. And I mean, it's Tumblr. So we had to make every cartoon character into another cartoon character's gay lover or whatever. But um, as much as the comic itself was, very peak Tumblr. Hey, that's peak. That's the conceit of the show. Um, it was also like a cool way to reflect of like, yeah, Hank Hill was actually a pretty good dad at the end of the day. And, you know, now I get to imagine this nice future for Bobby on top of some of the other nice futures I've imagined for Bobby. If we come back and we find out at 28 that Bobby, like, I don't know, works for Great Westlife or something. I'm going to be like, oh, well, all all the various futures that I imagine for Bobby are just out the window now. Like, I'm fine just using my imagination, like you said. Yeah. No, I again, I I sort of, you know, the, the, the season or the sorry, the, the series finale barbecue is that was a perfect ending for me. I don't need I don't need anymore. Like it, it, it passes through me in the same way that that, uh, you know, a if it had been done correctly arrested development third season ending was a perfect ending you didn't Very need much. to you didn't need any i once they get on the boat and they're going off for their own that's all i needed so that's 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 really where i come down on the the one thing i will say is mike judge has been really funny and <laughs> yes. has really had my has really understood how to make me laugh since i was like 8 so mm -hmm. Or seven. So, I mean... I just feel like he could do something new. Like, I... Um, 
I've liked everything he's done. So, you know, Mike Judge, why don't you why don't you put that into something new? Whereas it's funny, I actually think um Mike Judge's ratio of like home runs to to strikeouts are it's it's actually much better than Greg Daniels, which says a lot because I know Greg Daniels created the office and we love him for it. He wrote some of my favorite episodes of The Simpsons. He also wrote that really weird upload show. Um mm-hmm. and much like King of the Hill, when he left the office, it became a dumpster fire. So, um, yeah, it would be so cool to see them come back together and do something new. But if this is what we get, sure. this is what we get. <laughs> nah. All right. Noted ending things when you're supposed to end them expert, Mike Stevens. Thank you. Jazz hands. Wow, that was fascinating discourse, and it was so cool how Mike just showed up in the studio. That was that was fantastic, um, amazing. Yeah, I, I I gotta say though, I've said this every time King of the Hill comes up. We need to get it in Canada. Like, it's not even that it's not on any of the streaming platforms. You can't even like buy it off iTunes. I would spend all my money if you could. Why? I don't know. Like, cause so the streaming situation in Canada is we have. We do not have Hulu. We have Disney Plus that has some Hulu things on it, um, but not all of it. Uh, We don't have HBO, HBO Max, whatever HBO streamer is called, Mm. but you can get that as an add-on through Crave. Um, Crave is a pretty good streamer. I don't have it myself, but it's owned by like Bell Media. Um, Do Americans get Letterkenny? Is that a show? That... I maybe I don't know. I know that I have heard about it. I have not tried to go seek it out for myself. It's a very relatable show to anyone who grew up in the boonies, which I did because like I feel mm. like here's the thing. I, I just want Americans to know that in terms of content, Canadian shows are more than just Shit's Creek. And <laughs> hey, I like Shit's Creek. I do yeah. not I do not love it. And I it's too cutesy poo for me. My number one thing that I always recommend to Americans is if you if you like Schitt's Creek or if you're thinking of Schitt's Creek, um, I would also recommend anyone watch Kin's Convenience. Um, mm. It's I, I, which I think it is on Netflix. Um, so I I I didn't I don't think I mentioned this in any of our pre- prior correspondence. I will say there is a Canadian show that um, I'm. S- <laughs> Judge me or don't judge me or whatever, but uh, Trailer Park Boys. Yes! I loved that! I fucking loved tra- Have you seen the cartoon? Um, I haven't seen it in its entirety. I've seen all okay. the like images and the character designs yeah. and stuff. Yeah, I don't yeah. actually think I've seen any clips, but I have seen what the characters look like. So Yeah, um, it's... Um, yeah. I just... Yeah, I don't know. I, I started watching that again recently. Like, I... Yeah. I you know, I wasn't sure if Americans were aware of Trailer Park Boys, so I would, yeah, I second that. Americans, get into Trailer Park Boys. Trailer Park Boys. I got into it because um, my, this was over, a de- oh my God, uh, well over a decade ago. So when I was still living in my hometown in Connecticut, Stafford Springs, like a lot of people who I grew up with and went to high school with and, you know, my boyfriend at the time all kind of just like loved and glommed on to trailer park boys because like 
it kind of reminded us a little bit of where we were growing up. Well, not like in the trailer park sense, but like, fuck, what does that even mean? I don't fucking know. Um, Like, just, I don't know. I, I grew up in this like little small old mill town in New England with like a lot of really weird characters. So I think mm-hmm. it was... <laughs> Anyway. <laughs> I, I, can, I can relate. I feel like one of the things I always uh, tell people to distinguish between where I grew up and where I ended up, because I mean, yeah. even though I am in a rural place now, I still kind of consider myself a Torontonian just because like, first of all, me living here is very fresh and my husband still works out of Toronto one day a week. Like we're we're still less than two hours from Toronto. Like we're not yeah. actually that far. Um, uh, but where I'm from in Northeastern Ontario, it's the kind of thing where people there like begged for a Starbucks to come to town. They yeah. wanted when the like, for the very brief window when we had Target in Canada, people went crazy for a Target or like a new Party Central opening up and like yeah. they want big box stores up there. In Toronto, and especially when I got my start as a community news reporter, yeah. people um like don't people big box big box stores ruin lives there. Um, yeah, and anything with a parking lot ruins a life. And I kind of, you know, fall uh, somewhere in the middle because I'm like, yeah, yeah like I love my mom and pop sh- shops, and especially because where I live right now, I have like one colleague that I'm friends with and hang out with outside of work. But for the most part, all my friends here are actually just the owners of the local shops. Um, yeah. I'm kind of wandering through town like a little RPG character, just like, hello, bookstore owner. Hello, cafe <laughs> owner. What's the news today? Like, um, But then, oh, wow, I sure am glad that we have a superstore uh, on the highway that is open, uh, that, something that's open after 4 p.m. so that I can yeah. go buy vegetables <laughs> after 4 p.m. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what a novelty. So now as oh we head God. into April, what are, some of the, what are some of the things that you are looking forward to with April? Two things. Uh, one of those is that I am starting to, um, watch the second, second, third, no, third season of The Great on Hulu. So I'm very excited about that. It's like a co- comedic, you know, something of Catherine the Great, um, L. Fanning, Dakota Fanning. No, one of the. You know what? I don't remember who plays her. I'm sorry. It's, I should know. I think it's Elle Fanning, maybe. Um, but she plays cat. Anyways, it's really funny. So I'm really, uh, excited to finish watching that. And then the other, um, I don't know if it's coming back in April, but I am really excited for the next and unfortunately last season of Dairy Girls. Oh, yeah. Um, those are, those are sort of my streaming entertainment, um, high points, I think for the near future. What about you? Uh, For me, the biggest thing, and I think it might actually have just come out the other day, so it's technically a March release, but to finally see uh, Jackass Forever streaming, um, it did not come to my local theater. I was really excited that I moved to a town that does have a local like non-chain owned theater, only two screens. Um, every Every time I walk past it, it smells like salty popcorn. It's wonderful. However, because there's only two screens, uh, it, you know, you want to maximize the money you make. It mainly shows family movies, Marvel movies, that kind of stuff. Totally get it. They're not going to get a big return on R-rated movies. Um, And it's like, do I feel like driving all the way to Brantford to see Jackass, you know? um, And also we had 
about a month of closures uh, when Omicron hit. So it there was like a very small window for me to go out of town and see Jackass. And I just couldn't, uh, you yeah. know, bipolar disorder said no, bitch. And uh, <laughs> so now, though, I I can watch Jackass forever in the comfort of my own home. Bipolar disorder says yes, bitch. Um, yes. All right. So, Laura, for our curious nice. guests, where can they find you online and follow you? Twitter, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> it's just my name, Laura Alex. Alex is A-L-I-X, uh, which is, I feel like such a pedantic prick saying that, but, um, eh. yeah. Twitter and, um, I, I mean, I do Instagram, but like, I don't really do Instagram. It's like mostly pictures of my cat. So, uh, Same probably Twitter for them. Yeah. yeah. Twitter for the most part. Cat so. and burritos for me. Um, yeah. I mean, and I always, I feel bad because when I tell people my name is Brie and they're like, what? I'm like, Brie. And then I'll always go, like the cheese. And then I realize, oh, they're going to spell it B-R-I-E now. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and also probably the most famous Brie being Brie Larson. That's how she spells it. So I don't don't mind. But uh, yeah, so that's me, your host, Brie. You can find me on Twitter at Breganism, which is like veganism with a B-R-E-E. We do new episodes of Peak Show every two weeks. Our next episode coming out is with the aforementioned Mint Marcellus. And we're talking, oh, this is the big reveal. We're talking about David Fincher. So stay safe out there and take it easy. 